to another episode of Strength for Today. Hope you're doing well, and it's a privilege to have you with me today. And today, I really want to share three things. One, I'm going to start off by just sharing a little bit more from the diagram I showed you on Wednesday in terms of the contrast between the two kingdoms. This week, we've been talking about the world's kingdom and God's kingdom and how Jesus really came into this world to demonstrate his father's kingdom. And we know that living in the world today, there are two kingdoms that are often clashing with each other. God's kingdom, the, the kingdom of light, of life, of goodness, uh, is clashing with that of uh, the kingdom of darkness and death. And so we are going to break that down a little bit more today and just see the contrast between what it's like to live in both of those kingdoms and just give you a few characteristics, about seven, that uh, what a lifestyle lived in each kingdom might feel like and also might look like. So hopefully it gives you a very clear contrast. And then number two, we are going to look in the gospel of Matthew and Mark uh, because there are seven different times where Jesus gave a parable that said the kingdom of heaven is like and so we're going to look at each one of those and see the significance that each one has and helping us understand and get a picture of what God's kingdom is. And then I'm going to close this week in this episode by sharing a very dear story to my heart that I once heard of an author named Brennan Manning uh, from his book, Abba's Child. And I believe this is just going to give us a picture and help illustrate that God's kingdom is so full of his love towards us, like a good loving father uh, with his child is. And just give you an illustration and a visual that I believe can stir something within your heart and within your spirit that's going to help you identify yourself as a much loved child of the king. And, and my goal and intention this week was really to help you understand the kingdom understand the king who is Jesus of that kingdom, and then helping you find your place, that you are significant, and that you are the most precious aspect of the king's kingdom. So let's just jump right in today. And I want to just show this diagram again, as I showed you this on Wednesday. If these are the two kingdoms, you've got the kingdom of light, and you've got the kingdom of darkness. And above this kingdom of light, uh, I put words like light and life in the goodness of God. And it's run on God's love, which draws us closer to one another. It's a kingdom of unity. And these circles represented people. And this is our starting point. And as we work up, we get uh, more uh, surrounded with healthy relationships around us. And we're serving people. And so the arrow moving up to the finish is a lifestyle lived from serving in love towards one another. And in the dark, kingdom of darkness, which is the devil's kingdom, um, is a kingdom of darkness, of death, of evil. And it's often uh, driven by hate, which leads to division. So you can just see the contrast between these two kingdoms. And as you start from the bottom, you start in one of many people and as you try to perform or get promoted and work up, you move out of relationship and you become isolated. And you can see that these circles in this triangle, which represent the kingdom, 
are uh, apart from each other. They don't want to really be connected to each other. So there's a distance, whereas here, uh, you're intentional about relationship and building community. And as you work up uh, by serving and loving people, uh, more people are built up and come alongside of you. And so those are just a visual of the two different kingdoms that we talked about. And this was given to me, I shared on Monday, uh, through a visual illustration that I had from one of my mentors when I came on staff with the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And it's really turned my world upside down. And that's why that triangle of God's kingdom was upside down, is that it often represents a kingdom that is unlike any other kingdom this world can ever demonstrate or often tries to train us in the ways of this physical world. God's kingdom is a spiritual one, one that God established from the beginning of time and has principles and values for us to build our lives on. They are the foundation of all of our choices, of everything that we have and are in this uh, world. And then, so uh, I just wanted to kind of share that with you. And I want to share seven characteristics right now of a contrast between what it's like to live in the world's kingdom compared to God's kingdom. And I'm just going to read these off here. Number one, in the world's kingdom, the kingdom of darkness and death and evil, where hate often runs it, uh, you're always climbing or you're looking, uh, you're either feeling anxious or eager about things. And a lot of times your relationships are driven by fear. So there's always trying to get to the next level, trying to climb up the next rung on the ladder to get to the top. And you often feel unfulfilled or unsatisfied. Those are the first two characteristics in this is that you're always climbing and it's never enough. And number two, you're never satisfied. If you're operating in the kingdom of light and life um, that's driven by love and unity and goodness, you're serving there's always a forward momentum in your life, it feels like. It never, uh, you may get stuck, you may go through seasons of a, of a desert or just feeling dry, but you always feel like your life is moving in a direction and there's momentum that's being created. There is a sense of hope for your future. Even if you don't understand it or fully are convinced of it in this moment, there is a momentum that the Holy Spirit produces in us that keeps us moving forward. It was like in Philippians 3, Paul said that I'm always pressing on and forgetting what lies behind, but there was a hope, there was an endurance, there was a resilience and a resolve that was built in his life in order to pursue Christ more and to want more, to hunger after his kingdom and his ways. So moving forward with momentum, you become trusted and you're patient because you often know that God's process and timing is often different from our own. We're a people that like it to happen instantaneously or uh, in a matter of moments when God allows uh, time to shape us and to form us and is more concerned often about our process than the end result. Number two in the kingdom is that you feel a sense of being fulfilled or satisfied. Number three in the world's kingdom is there's a sense of burnout or exhaustion that you start to feel. And in God's kingdom, 
you're full of joy, you're full of desire, you have a passion, and you're re-energized on a daily basis. You look forward in hope to what your future holds, and you become confident. Number four in bold. Number four in the world's kingdom is that you begin to tear people down, and you start to focus on all the things that are going wrong, or negativity becomes the primary driving force of your life. Number four in the kingdom of God is as opposed to tearing down, you are about building other people up. You are about encouraging them, speaking life. Because you remember the contrast I drew was that the world's kingdom often robs us of joy, robs us of life, and leads to death. That's the flesh. God's kingdom leads to life. There is a light about it. And there is a sense of lightness that we carry in the spirit because we're able to move swiftly and quickly and to be re-energized because it's life-giving. His kingdom gives life. It doesn't produce death. Number five, in the world's kingdom, you live in isolation and your choices, your relationships often get moved in the direction of isolating yourself. We want to hide we want to project an image of what we want to be, or we pretend to be something that you're not. You've heard me use those three terms before, but that has how the world kingdom and the enemy often operates and functions in our lives, and we're driven to isolation. In God's kingdom, you're moved towards community. You're moved towards relationship, and you begin to invite people in. And you begin to become curious about who they are. And you genuinely care about them. You want to serve them. You want to love them. You want to be gentle and kind and demonstrate the fruits of the spirit that are mentioned in Galatians 5.22. Because you are a new creation and you're now demonstrating this new nature and this new identity of who God is in you. Number six in the world's kingdom. There's this high sense of individualism. You're focused on yourself. I've often heard it said is that the, the enemy's kingdom is a kingdom of the self, being self-centered, self-focused, self-righteous. And so we don't often look to those around us and to make the people around us better, to encourage them, to lift them up, to give them a sense of purpose and feeling valued and honored because everything gets drawn back to you. In the in, in Jesus's kingdom, in the in Father's kingdom, it is about team. It is about the body of Christ. You realize that you're one small part of the entire body. In the head of that body that Paul talks about in, in Ephesians, it says that Christ is the head of that body, and we are all parts of it. He talks about that in Corinthians where he says, you are significant because you've got to know your body part. You've got to know your role and understand that it's just as significant as every other part is. And without one, we all lose out. So it's about community. It's about entering into relationship. And here's the last thing. From the world's kingdom, here's what it's like, is that you're more focused on doing than actually being. And I actually skipped over one before that. And in the world's kingdom, it's about ownership. It's about what you gain. It's about building your own empire. 
And in, in God's kingdom, you're looking to give away. You're looking to sow. You're looking to steward what God has given you. You see the difference not only in language, but it's a lifestyle of one that is looking to take and to reap and to gain from it on a personal level in the world's kingdom. Now it becomes about stewarding, about blessing, about sowing into things that you want to see grow and that are of God's kingdom that are going to bring life. And lastly, but not least, is the difference between doing and getting our identity from what we do and what we accomplish in the world's kingdom, because success often gives us our identity. And so we put our doing first and where we disregard our level of character and integrity. And we compromise our heart, we compromise our mind, we compromise our relationships because it's all about doing and being the very best there is. And in God's kingdom, we get our source of identity from who God says we are and about being formed in his image and wanting and having a desire to reflect to the world who Jesus is. And so it's more about being and from our being where our identity is formed, we accomplish things through our influence, our impact and our leadership. But we understand that from a kingdom standpoint, our, our level of influence and impact and leadership often comes from who we are. I've had several leaders in my life that were incredibly gifted leaders, but they put um, solutions and performance and uh, results above people. And I'm sure you've had these experiences as well, is that if you had a choice of who to work for, one that was extremely uh, relational, um, would probably be our first choice that would see us, that would honor us, that would value who we are. And the, the, the people become more of a priority than the problems and the solutions and the results that drive so much of the world's kingdom and its economy and the relationships around us. But in God's kingdom, we see each other and we enter into relationship. And so those were eight defining characteristics. You can go back and listen to those, but I just wanted to help you distinguish what it's like to live in God's kingdom as opposed to the world's kingdom. So I want to transition right now from that and the whole illustration into what the Bible says. And we're going to heavily be in Matthew chapter 13. Because in Matthew 13, and there's one other one in Mark chapter 4 that we're going to look at today, you begin to hear Jesus teaching in parables, which were stories that helped us understand and get a picture of what the kingdom of God is like. And so I want to just make you aware of where you can find these, but also give you some revelation and insight into how this applies to your life today and the significance that it has. Because if you can get your mind around these and begin to apply them to your life, you're going to be able to touch the kingdom like never before. And there's going to be fruit that comes from your life that just becomes incredible. And it becomes more fruitful because you're now flowing and living your life from a life of the kingdom, being constantly connected to uh, the kingdom of God, which is so much higher and more powerful and more life-giving and more creative. 
than what the world's kingdom could ever offer or exemplify or demonstrate in the world around us. I'm going to go back to the example of Daniel again, because he was a person of the kingdom. Um, and when he operated and demonstrated, it said that the king took notice that he had a spirit of excellence about him. And he could not be conformed to the worldly system and culture. And what the king wanted to do was conform Daniel and his three friends to this culture and this kingdom, but it couldn't. It couldn't touch Daniel because he was operating under a different kingdom, under a different king, and he wouldn't bow and compromise himself. So he was able to withstand and withhold himself from being crushed or overwhelmed. That's a great illustration of what we've come back to so many times in this season about strength being this internal fortitude that the external pressures of the world can't uh, overcome our capacity to withstand and to be strong and to have resilience in our lives and to have the emotional capacity to strengthen ourselves in the Lord because we know that he is our foundation, he is our source. And so let's just jump right into the first one here that Jesus talks about. And we've already talked about this one a couple times, but it comes from Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom being like a treasure out in the field. And when we come to that field, um, the, the tenant went and sold everything and bought that great pearl. And in a, uh, a previous episode, I said, this really can have two meanings. One of us finding Jesus in selling everything that we have. And often what happens in our lives is that everything kind of becomes meaningless compared to knowing Christ. Or it could be that Jesus saw so much value in us and that we are the treasure and that God sent his one and only son, his beloved son to be crucified so that we could be reconciled to him. He emptied heaven so that we could be saved. He said the kingdom of God is like this, that there is a reckless abandon that begins to happen in our father's in our father's heart when he sees you and I. There is a reckless abandon that happens in response when we feel the goodness and the love of God, where we're willing to lay down everything because of the cost of following after Christ, because we know that it's the greatest reward in the treasure that gives us the most life and fulfillment and riches in the spirit. So that was the first one that he hit. Matthew 13, 52 talks about the, or Matthew 13, 45 and 46 talked about the great pearl and how a merchant went out looking for a great pearl of price, a, a pearl that had a great price on it. And he went and he sold everything to buy this one pearl. It's a very similar um, component to what we just saw in the field, uh, the treasure hidden in a field. Now we come to Matthew 13, verse 52, the household treasure where Jesus says, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven brings out of his treasure chest both what is new and what is old. So those of us who are being trained up in the kingdom, it's like having our own house and going up into the attic. And if you have a treasure of all the most valuable things, you start pulling them out and you start to realize that there are some things you're just never going to get rid of. 
And then there are new things that you know are a part of your future and the memories that you're going to make. And Jesus is saying that you can't have one without the other. And this is in terms of what our spirituality and our relationship with him is really like, because there are things that are eternal that will never go away, but we can't just cling to what we have once known. There is always the new that is emerging. That's the new covenant. When Jesus came into the world and he came onto the scene, it opened up a whole new realm and it ushered in a brand new kingdom that the world had never seen before. And now we have access to walk in that kind of power and authority that Jesus made available to us through his death and resurrection, because it says that you have resurrection life. And so there's a place for the old and the new. God doesn't just erase our past. We learn, we grow, we're healed, we're restored from it. But yet there's new things that God is going to build on. And we have to make room for both. We can't have one without the other. Moving on to Matthew 13, verse 33, he talks about the yeast being put in bread and how if you put a little bit of yeast, it goes into all of the bread. This was such a great illustration of what the kingdom of heaven is like. Because a little part of God's kingdom begins to saturate and penetrate everything. And I've known some incredible business guys who started operating their business with kingdom values and kingdom principles. And it just started to blow up and expand in ways that brought life and employment and riches into the lives of people because they operated and set their mind on having it be a kingdom business. I had several people like this on my board when I was on staff with Fellowship of Christian Athletes that set out to do business in a new way. And they had their challenges. They had their bumps in the road. But God blessed it. He honored it because it was built from a kingdom perspective. And that's what it's like when yeast penetrates into all the different crevices of the bread is that it just begins to take over. And I love that image because that's what the kingdom did in my life when I shared on Monday as I started to experience it and see it. And God started to pull back the curtain and the veil that was over my heart to see the kingdom. It was like all these new opportunities and creative ways of interacting with people and with God himself began to open up. The kingdom is like that when it enters into our heart as it brings life. And it's a kingdom of light, remember? And it illuminates things that were once hidden from us. It's a great image and a great lifestyle. Going on to the next one, that it's like a mustard seed. In Matthew 13, 31 and 32, it says that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And what's significant about this is that a mustard seed is one of the smallest possible seeds. But when it's planted in the ground and cultivated in the right conditions, it can grow up and produce a pretty good sized tree. And it becomes a symbol of something that's strong. And at the end of this parable, he says that even the birds of the air are drawn to it for a place to have refuge in a home. And I love that because it demonstrates, whew, I take a breath here, that when the word of God that begins very small at the moment of our salvation is given a heart to grow in. Remember, we talked about the four soils. But the word of God, which is truth, the true seed goes into our heart and it's receptive, it's open, it's soft, it's 
got the nutrients needed, that word begins to grow into a stronger sense of faith and confidence in the Lord. And our spiritual eyes and ears get to be open now to see and taste and experience things of the kingdom that are not accessible to the natural man and in the flesh, but only through the spirit, because God's kingdom is a spiritual seed that gets planted within, and it's like a mustard seed. It maybe starts off as being insignificant, but if you've given your life to Christ and you begin to follow his ways and get his word deep inside of you, he begins to set you on a new course, and you become something so profound and beautiful that something no, no one could have imagined you would ever become because you've now partnered and you've got that eternal seed within you that's growing and producing the kingdom and giving you life and light to give to the world around you. And I love that with significance and the fact that it now has a place to, to be able to bear and nurture the birds of the air. To me, that symbolizes that when we begin to share the good news through our lifestyle and through our words, our lives begin to foster a safe place where other people can be in relationship with us. Going back to that diagram of the circles in the triangle, we live close together. We become people that provide a place of safety and security for others because we want and desire to live in relationship as opposed to isolation. Moving on to the next one, found in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29, the sprouting seed. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man scattering seed on the ground. And he goes to sleep and he wakes up and the seed begins to grow. And he's in marvel of how the seed is actually growing. You see, so many times we think that when we go out and we plant a seed, that we're responsible to make the seed and to make it grow. But that's not the way God works in his kingdom. You see, God provides the seed, which is his word which is his light and life. And if we're willing to allow it to grow within us, God begins to water it and he begins to allow it to grow and to germinate and to grow into something of greatness that allows you to become something that you were never able to be or become on your own. What this parable represents is that it's the earth produces of the seed when it's ready, and the ready uh, the, the, the seed sprouts when it's ready, and then the person's responsibility is to go out and to reap the harvest because God produces the harvest. And what this is saying to us is that God's kingdom is not one of man-made ways. It is not. It is not about man. It is not about what we can do or accomplish or the kingdom that we can build. It's simply this, that the kingdom of God itself is a spiritual kingdom. It is about the king and Jesus, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now our life becomes about simply giving praise and honor to him. And it's all about him and his glory. And as we watch ourselves grow, as we watch the people around us grow, we're in wonder and it's a marvel to us because we get to see and observe what only God can do and what only he can produce so your life is representative in this kingdom parable 
that God has planted his word deep inside of you and it's growing into something profound and beautiful. Last one is found in Matthew 13 verses 47 through 50 and it's the parable of the dragnet and it says the kingdom is like a net where fishermen throw it into the sea and they gather the good and the bad and when they pull it up they begin to keep they keep the good and they throw back what is bad and this is a kingdom that has eternal significance because it's talking about the judgment that will come at the end of time when Jesus returns for his people. You see, they're either going to be drawn near because we put our faith in him in this world. Our heart was ready and we received and we entered into relationship and we operated out of his kingdom and we're about making our lives a, a, a visual aid that points back and gives honor and glory to Christ, his king. The importance of this parable is simply this, is that his kingdom is about the condition of our heart. And that is profound, that Jesus wants your heart. And it's all about his heart. There's going to come a day where we stand before the king of kings and give an account of our lives. Scripture is very clear on that. And my heart, my desire, God's heart and his desire is that on that day, when we give an account before him, that he would say, well done, good and faithful servant, and not depart from me, for I never knew you. You see, our lives today are about discovering the kingdom. It's about discovering who he is, entering into relationship, because there's no greater desire of the Father's heart than to walk with you on a daily basis. So just give him that opportunity. And on that day, when we stand before him, you can hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. And I want to simply end in these last few minutes by sharing a story and a few scriptures with you. As I heard a story recently from a guy named Brennan Manning, and it's from his book, Abba's Child. And it was a story of a Jewish couple whose greatest desire in life was to have a child and to raise it up in the ways of the Lord that the word of God would be strong in his heart or her heart, whatever they have. And it finally came to pass that one day they were able to conceive a child and they brought this child into the world and it was a boy and they named it Mordecai. And they watched it grow up and they spoke life over their child and it was full of joy and it grew, the child grew in grace and it grew in delight and joy because the parents, these parents loved it in an exceptional and profound way. Well, the day came when this child, Mordecai, was to go to the synagogue and would start hearing the word of the Lord taught and proclaimed. And they had great desires and they sat their child down and they said, it's very important to us that you begin to learn the word of God for yourself and get it deep down in your heart. And so they made a plan. And the next day they said, we're going to send you off to the synagogue and we want you to hear and we want you to come back and begin to share with us the things that you're learning. And so the next day Mordecai woke up and he started venturing out into the woods to go to the synagogue, but he never made it there. He started playing in the water. And the next thing you know, he was playing in the trees, climbing from branch to branch. And the next thing you knew, he was playing in the dirt, digging like a normal boy would. And Mordecai came back that day and there was word in the town that had traveled that he had not gone to the synagogue. 
And so the parents were greatly uh, troubled and disturbed. And they said, why haven't you gone to the synagogue? And he said, well, I intended to, but I got distracted. And so this went on for a couple more days and he never made it to the synagogue. And so they brought in a behavioral specialist and they sat him down with his child and they started to correct every behavioral problem that could cause Mordecai to get distracted. And so they thought every problem had been solved. And the next day they sent Mordecai back to the synagogue. And yet again, he was playing in the water, climbing on trees and digging in the dirt. And he came back. And so they thought they'd get a psychoanalyst and they would discover all the hindrances that were keeping him from going to the synagogue. And so they sat down for a long period of time and thought they had gotten down to every hindrance and removed every hindrance. And so the next day, Mordecai set off and he got distracted once again, playing in the water, playing in the trees, playing in the dirt. And he came back home. This time they didn't know what to do and they were greatly distraught. And they caught wind that there was a great rabbi that was coming into town. And so they went out and they met him and he was a big man with a big beard and a big voice. And, and they said to him, we have a son who won't go to the synagogue and he gets distracted. And in a deep but gentle voice, this rabbi said, bring your boy to me. And so deep in the father and mother's heart, they gathered the strength and they sent Mordecai with the rabbi. And it was a little bit hard as a parent because this was a man they didn't know, but there was something about him that said he was gentle, that he was loving. And so the rabbi took Mordecai and they went off into a place that was disclosed. And it was there that this rabbi in his big arms brought Mordecai up into his lap and he sat with him in complete silence. And the rabbi put his arms around Mordecai and put his head gently against his heart and he just sat there in stillness and in quiet in a father's loving embrace he held Mordecai and Mordecai felt something that he had never felt before the embrace of of a big gentle man and he sat there and he went back to his parents house that next day after spending time with the rabbi in that morning, he woke up and his parents didn't even have to tell him, didn't even have to get things ready for him. But Mordecai was out the door and he went to the synagogue and he was so anxious to learn. And he came back that day and he started sharing all the things that he had learned in the synagogue. And there was a new life and a new joy and a new knowledge and wisdom that his parents were discovering in Mordecai. Mordecai went out after that and he started playing in the woods again, climbing trees. And what he noticed was that he became one with the trees. He became one with the water and felt in unison, in rhythm with the water. And as he started digging in the dirt, he became one with it. And this was his experience throughout much of his life from that point on. And there were so many people who came up to Mordecai in the days to come when he got older. People who had no way of moving forward, who were hopeless. And when they met Mordecai and spent time with him, God provided a way and they found a new door that had opened and a new hope that had been instilled in them. He came across people who didn't know how to receive love. And when they came around Mordecai, they felt loved and they felt validated and seen. And they walked away from that relationship, knowing the love of the father, because Mordecai 
exemplified it to them. And he came under people, he came across people that were under great oppression and were burdened by so many of life's things. And when they came around Mordecai, they felt that weight and those burdens be released. And then these people became curious and they began to ask Mordecai, what is it about you that's so different? And Mordecai said, it was that one simple day where the rabbi came into town and he held me and he held my head up against his heart and I could feel his heart beating and it changed me. My heart connected with his and it was from that day forward that I became one in spirit with him. And there was a hunger to know him at a deeper level. And when you left and I could no longer physically see his presence, I just remembered what it was like to be held in his arms. See, that's a great depiction of when we experience the King of Kings, Jesus, in the Father heart of God. And when we experience the Holy Spirit speaking to us, there's an incredible sense of light and life that comes in a new sense of motivation and inspiration that begins to drive our lives. And now we want to spend the rest of our lives getting closer, becoming more in sync and in tune with the Father's heart, his ways and his words. And now that you've experienced the embrace of the Father, imagine yourself just leaning your heart up like John the Beloved did when Jesus was sitting next to him, just leaning in and putting your head listening to the heartbeat of Jesus and having your heart sync up with it. That's the desire of Jesus for us today. And I want to leave you with three scriptures, and I'm going to close this real quick. But I want you to hear these and get these in you. The first one is from Romans 5, verse 5. And it says this, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. As you lean into the Father's heart, let the Holy Spirit minister to you about the Father's love and how incredible you are and how much he loves feeling your head up against his chest. All right, Romans 14, starting at verse 17, and it says this, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, appeasing in the physical realm, the things that our flesh desires, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you see the correlation? Receiving the love of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, having access, becoming the righteousness of God, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, having joy and having peace in the Holy Spirit. And the last place that I want to take you is Habakkuk 2, verse 14. This is a great illustration that God's kingdom and God himself is ever expanding and how when we are in relationship with Christ, we feel this incredible sense that our heart, our mind, our life, our purpose is ever expanding. Listen to Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a great image to close out our week. The love of God being poured out into your heart. May you experience the kingdom of God, which he says 
is righteousness, peace, and joy. And it even says in that Romans 14, verse 17, that those who are seeking his kingdom will pursue peace and be peacemakers. You see, when we're full of his kingdom, we become about peace. And in Habakkuk 2.14, I just close with this, that you see the whole world is expanding, full of his glory, full of his knowledge. And just imagine your heart and your life and your spirit just being constantly filled, re-energized, refreshed, restored, and healed on a constant basis. Just as the waters cover the sea, an endless, vast array of God's grace and his love into your heart today. God bless you and God's strength to you today. And I pray that you'll come back next week as we're going to dive in to Isaiah 61 in the Old Testament that foretold through the prophet Isaiah the coming of Jesus and his mission that was profound, that would be a prophetic demonstration and illustration of Jesus who would come. And in Luke chapter 4, we see that fulfillment of that prophecy in Isaiah 61. And we are able to see how Jesus fulfilled the mission of bringing God's kingdom. And what was Jesus' kingdom message? It was revealed before he even set foot on the earth in Isaiah 61. And in Luke 4, Jesus said, now these things today before you have been fulfilled. We get to see and understand and experience how Jesus brought his kingdom message through his kingdom lifestyle. So join me next week. God bless. God's strength today.